Welcome to the Mosh Zone, episode 51, volume 51, week 51, number fucking 51. Hey, going, guys? How's your week been? Thank you for tuning in. So this week's guest is Matthew of My Children, My Bride. All of that is coming up in the show. So I thought I'd start off this week as we did last week, which is a little bit of feedback and questions segment. We're going to try and keep this running each week. So this week I heard from Jake Marthal. Hope I've pronounced that right, dude. And we heard from him through Instagram. And his comment was, This was my first time listening to your cast, though I became aware of the Mosh Zone through Tim from Within Ruins. I'm about to listen to that episode next. And I must say, yours is definitely one of the most engaging and interesting podcasts. Not just in terms of the music scene and all things related, but just about all the topics brought up and how you actually seem to give a shit about what your guests have to say. Definitely earned yourself a new regular listener. And I'm going to go and get all my mates onto your work. P.S., You couldn't be more Aussie in not just your mannerisms, but mostly the way you use fucking in each sentence. Dude, thank you very, very fucking much for an absolute epic bit of feedback. Much appreciated for it. And i got to say, I'm glad you're fucking digging what we're putting down, and I'm glad you're getting into it and are going to be a regular listener. Also, much love and thank you for spreading the word about the Mosh Zone One thing I found very positive and very powerful in your feedback was how you said, I give a shit about what my guests have to say. And dude, I really do. It doesn't matter who I've got on, doesn't matter what kind of music they do, doesn't matter how big of a career or how small of a career they've had. I want to speak to every person possible and I'm always into what they have to say and what they've done. So the fact that you can hear that means a lot and the fact that it translates into the podcast means a lot as well. The comment about being fucking Aussie, much appreciated dude. I think some people notice it, but Aussies would definitely notice it. Dude, hope you come back for more episodes and keep that feedback coming, man. I'd love to hear more and any questions you got for the show, love to hear them as well. I also heard from Joshua through Facebook this week. Joshua had a bit of feedback and a great idea for some future things for the show. One thing he said was, would you guys be up for suggesting some up-and-coming bands for us to check out each episode, like young and upcoming bands? Joshua, definitely down for that. something that will be incorporated in future episodes. We're going to do a segment called the must-hear segment. It's going to come after the question and feedback segment. You'll hear that possibly from next week. The other thing Joshua said was, aside from that, love the show, but I do miss the reviews segment a little. Yeah, I do miss doing the reviews a little as well, Joshua, but it was taking up so much time. You know, I've got a wife, got a job, and got to organize and maintain the zine and the podcast and guests. So time was very short for me. Hopefully, within the next month or so, we will be starting up a separate podcast, which will be all dedicated to reviews. So keep your eyes open, Joshua. And also, Joshua, we've heard from you previously on Twitter. 
We do know you're a very solid follower and a regular follower of the Moshone. So much love, much respect, much appreciated, dude. Last bit of feedback we got this week was through Twitter, and it was from Brian. Brian asked, is there someone in the Australian scene, not including Parkway, you'd love to have on the show? To be honest, there's a lot of Australians I'd like to have on the show. Really want to get someone from Alpha Wolf, one of those boys on the show. Been trying to get Hollow World on the show. There is quite a few bands that I definitely want on the show. In Heart's Wake. There's a lot going around in the Australian scene. North Lane. There are so many. I can't think of many off the top of my head, unfortunately, right now. But there is lots. And if you're in an Aussie band or you know someone that's in an Aussie band and you want to get on the podcast, shoot us a fucking message. Shoot us an email. Get in touch. Love to open up some dialogue and have you on as a future guest. So that's it for the feedback and questions for this week. Don't forget, you can get in touch through email address, which is themoshone at gmail.com. You can get in touch through the social medias. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and all of those are at The Mosh Zone. So enough of my ramblings to start the show. It is time for our Mosh interview. This week, I got the opportunity to sit down with Matthew of My Children, My Bride, and it was a very engaging, very transparent, and a very open interview, and very exciting interview as well. I've been a fan of My Children, My Bride since I first heard of them on their first album, and to have Matthew on the show was really good, and also really insightful, as I said. Gotta say thank you, Matthew, for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone, and that chat with Matthew is coming up now. Do you remember the band or what age you were when you discovered music as a thing? Not necessarily heavy music, but kind of what music was. Um, yeah. Well, I don't know if it was an exact age. Um, when I was younger, uh, my parents, I live in the southeast of the United States, so um, there was a lot of classic rock. and uh, My parents were never really in the country or anything like that, but that's kind of what I remember at an early age hearing. Um, and then my parents were very uh, like church-driven people, so they were always at church and stuff. So it was a lot of like praise music and early praise rock bands like, I don't know, Michael W. Smith and... And then that led into one of my dad's favorite, ended up being my dad's favorite bands. Uh, There's this band called Third Day. Oh, yes. And they were like a Christian rock band. And earlier in their career, we we would see them if if they came anywhere close in like a four or five hour radius, we would be at their shows. So uh, that led into the whole Christian rock thing. And he supported that. So it allowed me to get uh, creative with the bands I listened to with. uh, And it just it kept getting heavier and heavier. I think it went from third day to DC talk. Yeah. And I remember buying the Jesus freak cassette tape Ooh. at a music store in the mall, a Christian music store in the mall. And I remember putting it on and my parents being like, ah, this is pretty like heavy. I don't know. You know, <laughs> with Jesus, like it's so funny in retrospect, like over the holidays, that story got brought up actually. And it's just like, so funny to think about that being heavy, you know, and, and today, like, the band that I'm I've been in for so long and everything. Um, but it went from Jesus freak to like bands like project 86 mm-hmm. and POD and, uh, you know, blind side was another big one. And then that led into like living sacrifice. And then it went down the like super heavy, you know, route with old under oath, their first CD. 
So, I mean, some people may know or may not know, but you've mentioned there, you know, there, there is the Christianity aspect of you and life. Yeah. So when it came to heavy music, was it, did you only, you know, search for Christian-based rock and metal? Because at that time, because um, I think I know the, the years it was, it was very affluent. There was a lot of bands coming out of the woodwork that were, you know, faith-based. Um, right. But there was also the traps of the non-faith-based bands. So sure. when you were discovering the heavy music, were you only towards faith or was it a bit open? No, it was it was kind of both. I, I was, I'm not going to say I was sheltered, mm-hmm. but my parents really did care about what, you know, I, how, how I was influenced. Um, because it was like every, it was an impressionable age, you know, mm-hmm. so they, they did kind of, make sure I wasn't getting too deep into like the secular stuff. I still listened to a ton of secular bands around that time, mm-hmm. but you know, it was mostly like me and my friends trying to find like the next cool, you know, Christian, mm. uh, heavy music. Cause that's kind of what we related to the most. And there was kind of like a little pride in that and it being those bands being able to like hang with, with the secular bands, but still like to spread a positive message. So it was also, I think that was, it was also a time when a lot of bands were, I mean, for someone who's very centered in their faith, it also would have been a bit tricky to find a band that was genuinely faith orientated, wouldn't it have been? Because right. I know a lot. Um, I remember because I was getting into a lot of those at the same time. There, there were bands that you'd you'd kind of go, "Oh, they're saying they're faith based," and then you'd look into it and you'd be like, "Well, actually, they're not. They're using it as a marketing tool." Right, and I don't know at that time at that moment like there were so many like it was booming like mm. the christian biz you know the metal heavy market was booming and i think a lot of people tried to jump into it um and there was a lot of fake bands and a lot like you were saying um but i think there was some good ones too so for sure so in this time you're in high school um how are you are you identifying yourself as an alternative metalhead during high school let's see in high school um, what's the beginning of high, early high school? I was definitely like more of a preppy kind of kid, listening mm-hmm. to the praise and rock and all that kind of stuff. And then it slowly started getting heavier and my clothes got darker. And then mm-hmm. by the time I was a senior, I was 17 years old. And I mean, I was wearing my girlfriend's jeans and had a youth medium Norma, Norma jean shirt on that mm-hmm. I had got at a show the night before, you know, and with, with a white studded belt. So I, I was full on like scene kid in, in high school. How did like that... my my senior my senior pictures, I'm wearing a black and neon pink embrace today shirt with like, <laughs> uh, like a pink belt or something. It was it's awful, but whatever. You know, how we is... all we all have those faces. How is that for you though? I mean, you is it? Did you start feeling you know kind of secluded at school? Were people judging you accordingly because you're suddenly changing the way you appear in a way? Um. I I was one of the kinds of kids, I was never like a super popular person or like a, you know, like in the spotlight or anything like that. But I, I tried my hardest to um, to be friends with all the different types of, you know, people. Mm. Um, so me going through changes and stuff, I still kind of kept the same friends. And there's a couple other kids kind of like me. So I wasn't completely alienated. I, I mean, I was the only kid with trying to fit like Sharpie marker caps in my ears and stuff like that <laughs> and getting in trouble for having a lip piercing but like Mm. other than that no like i was with the skater kids and i was with 
the church kids and it was just kind of like I was friends with everybody so it wasn't too bad for me so in high school was this when you started thinking about music as a career or was that still not really a thought yet no it, it definitely was um when I was seven, 16, 17 and stuff, I was just going to every show I could, and uh, it was a big part of my life. And um, it, I was in high school. Like the thing I was focusing on in high school, the hardest was art. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in art classes like from middle school on. Like my my mom would put me in after school activities, and I would just focus on that. And it's something that's been a part of my life, like my whole life. You know, is artwork and. I have I had this amazing art teacher in high school, and luckily the the high school that I went to offered it offered a lot of art classes. To be honest, like it had an entry level art, and then it was art one all the way through art four, and then there was one above that that was uh was like college level art kind of thing, art it was like art plus or something like that. And uh, what that last class focused on was building a portfolio and pursuing like college, you know, scholarships and all of that. And I was my senior year. I was in. I had two semesters of art. My like my uh, senior year, so I was in art all the time, and that was like the future that I was going to pursue. But then halfway, like at the beginning of that year, or halfway through the year, my teacher like set me aside, and she was like, "You're not really, you know, focusing as much as you could." And it was like kind of my. She would go from kid to kid in the class and kind of talk to each one and ask like what our future plans are and like what kind of school we're thinking of. Do we want something close by? Or are we okay with traveling? Um, and she was like, I know you're not really, you haven't been, you know, into it as much lately. Are you like thinking about pursuing other things? Um, and I was just like, I, I want to be in a band. Like I want to pursue music, you know? And I just straight up told her that. And at the time I was, I was actually, I think 17, like in high school when MC, when my band started, when MCMB started. Wow. So it's been that long that we've been around. Um, and it was that band, yeah, that it was, yeah, because it was in like September of 2000 or, or November of 2003 or something like that, that the band like actually had its first practice or whatever. Um, so after that like holiday break, getting back and like we had played a show or something like that, it was just like I was full tilt, like all all my money was on one thing. And uh she was just like, that's awesome. I, would, I just straight up told her, I was like, this is a once in a lifetime thing. Like if, if it works, it works. And I always have art, you know, I can always fall back on that. And yeah, I just put all my chips in one on black, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> how, how was the reaction from family and friends? I mean, were, I mean, cause anyone that says, you know, that's listening and says, well, this is what I want to do. I, I want to do music. It's not necessarily that it's music, but it's kind of, it's not a guaranteed path. You're not guaranteed. Oh, for sure. It's still not a guaranteed path no. for any, for any artist. Um, for me, the, for me, what it was is we, I mean, it was just obviously like anything else. It was a little local band with kids. We were all 17 or 18 years old, um, playing in a garage. And then we got confident with our stuff and we had uh, some friends that booked shows and we would always play the local shows. And then we recorded our first demo, pulled some money together and it was God awful. It was four songs. <laughs> I still have, they're somewhere, they're somewhere in storage somewhere. Um, but like I said before, my parents, my dad was really into music and traveling to see bands and stuff. And he honestly, he really helped us at the, at the very beginning. I remember him, we like kind of took a loan now with him and got some Mesa uh, 
412 cabs and Mesa mm. dual rectifier heads, you know, so we could look and sound more professional. And then he, he'd rent a U-Haul trailer and take it. We'd have a three day weekend and he'd take us to Georgia or, you know, we'd book shows ourselves, but you know, he would help us get there and help us make it possible. You know, he even ultimately like bought a little sound, like a, a sound system so that like local shows, we would look and sound better. And he would like, wow. let the venue use it. Yeah. He, he, like, I'm, I'm very lucky to have someone that supported me like that. Um, especially at the beginning, like we eventually paid him, we paid him back and, and then we ended up, you know, up, eventually upgrading from all that kind of stuff. But that that initial like support really like helped us and helped us kind of stand apart and get um, get somewhere at like a very young age in our career, I guess. Yeah, I mean that kind of building block is and support is essential. And w- was there any naysayers? Was there anyone, you know? It- educational wise at school was there anyone saying to you no don't do this this isn't smart no i don't think so because it was something like um there's a lot of like heavier music in the southeast that was coming up and a lot of people really enjoyed it and the shows were really good there and it was just there was a lot of kids and a lot of bands coming out of my high school and stuff so we all supported each other in our our scene or whatever so there wasn't really like everyone else just thought it was cool and it just so happened to be that because of a website called MySpace and like mm. my personal own popularity on there. And that was a whole nother <laughs> interview to talk about <laughs> that. But like, because of that, it, it like propelled and pushed us like very quickly and in, in front of a lot of people's faces. Um, and it allowed us to book shows out of the state and eventually like booking our first full us tour and stuff. So um, I think because of that, it, it definitely, because of the that area and, and the music scene there, it wasn't weird or it wasn't like people didn't like tell me that I was stupid for not pursuing school or whatever. Was was there, I mean the other thing that um, anyone that's faith based, you'd also was there a pushback based off being um, having the beliefs and doing this kind of music? You know, it's not. I guess at that time it would have been a bit more accepted because as we said earlier, there were a lot more bands. But was there any reaction of you're not playing music that is should be played? Um, I was actually my parents ended up being youth pastors for for a couple of years, and then they kind of resigned. But but I was very into my church's uh, like scene, and I was even in the praise band, like playing bass guitar. Oh wow! On on Wednesday nights, and then I I played on Sunday mornings with my fingernails painted and my hair and like. Uh, yeah. So like, I was always that was something I did for years up until like probably I don't know five or six five years ago or something. I was still playing bass and being a youth leader at my church in Alabama. But um, I ended up moving out to California and stuff, and that kind of ended. But but no, that that church was always very like supportive of me and would always like when I was on tour. I mean, I was on tour, but I'd come back and they. I mean, they'd be open arms, you know. Hmm. That's that's that's, so, uh, that's another that's, fortunate thing for me. Yeah, I and guess. that's and that's great. To, that's great to hear because I have spoken to one or two artists that, you know, are Christian, and they were saying that when they were starting, they weren't they were getting a lot of pushback. You know, as in yeah, no, I, I can only imagine. Yeah. Um. So that's that's really refreshing and great to hear. Now let's go in start with a bit of this, you know, MC MB history that, I mean, there's been a lot of. Um, yeah. You guys started out, as you said, kind of in high school, um, 2005. Some people don't 
claim that you dropped something, but you did release, you know, an album. Um, mm-hmm. How was that at the time for you guys? Was it really just a case of get something out to help you guys play more shows or was it? That was exactly it. Okay. Um, we had done our original demo before that in like 2004. Um, and we wrote more songs and we were like, we need, if we're going to start touring, then we need a CD. You know, we need something to sell at shows. We need something for people online to listen to. And we ultimately recorded that. We pulled money together ourselves and recorded that having the heart for war in this like little studio we found in Decatur, Alabama. And it was just like, it was something that we had these songs. We wanted people to be able to hear them. There was a site called HXCMP3 dot com there was pure volume myspace and all of those social media outlets like people wanted music so um we knew our first forward song demo sounded awful and we needed something better so that was our first uh i guess saying that first full length there was no record label there was nothing like that it was just us coming together i designed all of the artwork way back then we sent it off to one of those cd companies where you get a 500 copies or a thousand copies or something like that um and yeah, that was it. It was just something for us uh, and for other people, pretty much. How was it? How was it received? Like, it did it did it create? You know, you were we're talking about MySpace days as well, and all of that. Did it create a bit of a stir for you guys? Did it gain you a bit of attention? Yeah, I mean, it was it was definitely just for online use, and it it did what it was supposed to do. It was better than the other four song things that people were listening to. So. Um, yeah, it, it served its purpose, and it allowed us to kind of get on the road a little bit. But we ultimately knew that its quality and, and those songs would be, uh, I guess, we, we knew that we needed to do better, like, really quick, like, after we put that out. So, and, I mean, it didn't last was that Was that part of what got you guys the attention of Solid State Records, or was it through them coming to see you at a show? How did you gain that connection with, which so such a big, you know, Christian label? Right. So uh, sorry, I just noticed my little (laughs) toy was messed up. I I have a crazy toys everywhere. Um. So with Solid State, um, after we recorded having the for war that came out in late. 2015 or 2005 sorry mm. it's been a long time uh <laughs> we we were touring pretty relentlessly and doing everything on our own um and we recorded a three-song demo with jamie king in north carolina um and it was just we just called it like mcd 07 it came out in early 07 um and after putting that out and releasing it online sorry about that, that was really <laughs> uh after releasing that online and that's when things like actually started because we got a real producer and recording engineer that was in the metal scene. That was a notable artist, a uh, notable producer to record us. Like that's when everything kind of took off. Um, and we got to the point as a band that we, we booked numerous U S tours on our own. Our drummer used to book us. Um, and we even did a full European tour like England and some other countries on our own with no label or anything. Um, we had people hitting us up interested, but we were just like, we're fine. We like, we don't think you can help us because even back then we ultimately knew that a label, unless we were signing to like a major, that it was just somebody investing money in you, hoping that they'll get the return, you know, there. Mm. So we kind of held out as long as we could. That was the plan, uh, from the beginning It's just kind of the hold out 
Um, and then by the time we had done that European tour and those three, we put out that three song uh, EP that just the attention like kind of exponentially increased um, because we had real music. We, we felt really strong about the songs. Um, and then that's when like Ferret Records came knocking, Solid wow. State Records came knocking, um, a few other notable ones that we ultimately just narrowed it down to Ferret and Solid State because those were the ones at the time that were just we felt could benefit our music style the most. Um, and yeah, it, it ultimately ended up being solid state in the end. We felt it fit our vision and our genre and everything. It just kind of aligned and they, they flew out a couple times to watch us play and take us out to dinner and talk about it. Um, and yeah, then we flew out there and we signed our first record contract. Yeah. And the, the first album released was unbreakable. And that album from, from an outsider, you know, if I compare it to lost, lost boys, it felt like unbreakable wasn't really pushed like from an outsider. Like it kind of, I stumbled upon it because I used to go to the solid state website a lot to see what was coming out. And, you know, I saw that come up and I was just buying albums just based off. It was a new album, but then, um, you got a bit of attention through my group of friends because you guys were on a Christian label, but you were also a very darker looking band. You guys didn't look like every, I'm not saying everyone else was cookie cutter, but I'm saying everyone else looked a certain way. And there's you guys covered in tattoos. You got stretches, you got piercings and you're playing very heavy breakdown based music. Do you feel that album made you guys into a career or do you feel like it hadn't quite happened yet um no i honestly i think that was like that was the height of our career to be completely honest with you like coming off the myspace popularity into the studio and and solid state was at their biggest and they uh we had those three song demo or the ep thing that kind of came out but we had a whole other record and we got in the studio with joey sergis who was Mm. a huge uh studio engineer where he worked with all the rise bands and turned them into what they were at the time. Um, we got in the studio with him and we made music that we felt was really strong and he liked it and our label loved it. And we felt we were kind of like at the pioneer of this metalcore and hardcore like combination thing where we had some songs that were all breakdowns and sing-alongs and other songs that were inspired by European power metal. You know, mm. we had, you know there's there was just all these different things that kind of brought us together because of our own influences um and yeah unbreakable was a complete success for us that was our i think i think it's still our highest selling record to be completely honest i don't know the exact numbers um but because of its success and pop ultimate like its popularity it allowed solid state to have more faith in us and and push us way harder for for Lost Boy. Okay, so yeah, so that's why, yeah, because Lost Boys in what was that twenty ten? Yeah, you guys felt like it was really pushed, like which you guys were really being brought forward. Um, was there a big transition in the way you feel album to album? Like, do you feel like Lost Boys was the the ideal follow up, or do you feel like? Maybe it wasn't quite because I really, 
if I had to pick over either, it's going to sound weird. I actually prefer Lost Boys. Like that one for me at the time when it was released meant a lot more for me. Not that I don't like sure. Unbreakable, but Lost Boys really did it for me. Um, yeah. So with Lost Boys, it was coming off this like high that we had where we were touring uh, nonstop. And it was to the point where we were like, we have to release a record. Like it's been over two years, you know, and our label was like, yeah, you guys should get in the studio, you know? So we were like touring nonstop, like 250 days a year, 300 days a year. And then we were like, all right, we have to do this. Um, and right before we were going to go in the studio, we had, we ultimately had to kick out our, our drummer because of, uh, some, some personal drama kind of stuff that happened. Um, and it kind of put us all in danger to be, to be, you know, transparent with you. Uh, so he got, we had to kick him out. We had to sit, you know, part ways. And Brian, he, I mean, he wrote, me and him wrote the entire Unbreakable and previous music. Our original guitarist, Kyle and some other members, they contributed a little bit. Um, but in comparison to, to Brian, like Brian, is one of those guys that can pick up any instrument and figure it out. And he was a drummer. He was also the guitar. He wrote, not, I'd say, I don't know, 80, 90% of the guitar on Unbreakable and everything before it. Um, so it was him and me and him. Like we would sit down and I would, I would find out, find a new band and be like, this song is so cool. What they do here is so cool. Let's, let's do something like that. And I would send him stuff over and he would send stuff to me. And I'd be like, at, at 45 seconds or a minute and 15 seconds, that part's cool. Keep it and repeat it and take this second. You know, I would, I was very hands-on with the process and it was just me and him and to kick out like, you know, a founding member that wrote most of the music was definitely like really difficult, Mm -hmm. but, but it came, it came down to that. Um, So we went into the studio with no drummer with, new band members that hadn't really contributed anything um, in MCMB's history as far as like what people had heard um, with two guitarists that, yeah, that hadn't written for MCMB really. So were there all these new people that were writing for the band that were trying to encompass the vision that we had? And I was trying to work with them to keep it MCMB and not be too different, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like, there was this drummer fiasco where we had to find somebody to play drums while we were in the studio. And we went through, like, two or three different guys. And we, we found a, a friend that, that saved the day, to be completely honest. Um, but, yeah, Lost Boys, for me, it was it was really weird. It was in a time uh, where I got hurt uh, in a relationship. And I had a lot on my chest, like, emotionally to write about in that sense. And, uh, and then everything else going on with the band. Um, it was weird. It was kind of forced. We kind of felt forced into it on top of all of that. Um, we lived in the studio where we recorded the record for like a month and a half. We were kind of stuck in the Atlanta area, um, which was cool. Like we recorded at Glow in the Dark Studios. There's a bunch of amazing records that have come out of there, like Old Under Oath and a lot of other Christian artists. Um, so the, all that was cool. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. It was kind of a weird a weird place in the mcmb history like i'm happy with that record and i'm happy with how it turned out but um it didn't it i felt like if it had had like two or three more like go-throughs and like refinements to a lot of the songs um it would have felt more like a a proper follow-up to unbreakable yeah it sounds like sounds like there was definitely quite a bit of stuff going on um 
band mm-hmm. and personal stuff. That's probably why I connected with it because I think I was going through the same stuff that you were obviously projecting through the lyrics at the time. I do remember that was yeah. what I was going through. Um, so what's it like now, two albums, well, two official albums deep on a label for the band? Are you starting to tour regularly? I do know at this time you guys were playing with kind of a who's who of metal, um, all kinds. You know, you were playing with Impending Doom, Devil Driver, Haste of Day. You know, you guys really could go on any bill, um, which is pretty rare for nowadays. A lot of bands just stick to the same genre. Um, but were you seeing more success or was it kind of just plateauing at that time? Um, coming off the unbreakable cycle and going to the lost boy and everything, it was, it was something that we always try to do as a band where we, we tried to have those songs that were all hardcore or all heavy and the super metal songs. We wanted to be able to go, I mean, early on in our career, we went on a tour, a full us tour with hoods and furious styles. Hoods is a super hardcore, heavy band. Furious styles was a, a crew oriented related band that was in the same genre. And we didn't belong in that tour at all. That was like, I think that was before Unbreakable came out, and we were a bunch of scene kids playing metalcore, and it was it was very eye opening, you know. Like mm. we got put in our place big time on that tour, but being surrounded by those people and seeing that energy, and then piling on top of each other and singing along and stuff, it, it inspired us to to want to bring that to metalcore kind of thing. Um, and yeah, that was yeah that was something we always tried to do. We want we want to, even to this day, like we want to be able to tour with, I don't know deftones or tour with lamb you know we want to be able to jump on either you know we have a set that we could play that's all metal or play a set that's all just heavy beatdown music you know um that was always a thing we strive to do now with with those all those touring things you know i was gonna ask is at some stage was it ever were you ever getting a lot of it's got to be okay what i'm trying to say is were there ever people that would go that say that you're playing with the acacia strain and the mm-hmm. fans turn up and they go, oh, there's a Christian band on tonight. Oh, no, nah, that's not going to be worth my time. You know, not even going to bother. And they put their hands in their pockets or fold their hands. And, you know. Um, I don't think so. I, I think we kind of established early on that even though we we were a faith-based like band lyrically and stuff, like as from a ministry standpoint, like I never felt like we were supposed to get on stage and, and like preach and, mm. and talk about that kind of stuff. Like I was... I, I think it's so much cooler that kids are like singing along with all our lyrics and they didn't even realize like what they were singing about kind of thing. Um, I know for me, like when I, and let me back up and what ultimately to like kind of made me feel that way about our music was when I was younger and I was listening to secular music and then I'd stumble upon, upon a band that I really liked. And then later I'd find out they were Christian. You know, they didn't have to be at a Christian music store in a, in a section, you know, of heavy music, they were just doing their own thing. And then I found out later that their lyrics are faith-based. I thought that was more impactful. Like that they, like we could hang with whoever, you know, mm-hmm. we could be on an all Christian tour. We could be on a non-Christian tour. We could tour the Keisha strain or despise icon or all these are Carnifex, you know, like all these bands that are fully anti-religion mm-hmm. and hang out with them and like, be cool and be friends with them and, and play music with them and, and love them. And, you know, that, that was more important to me than standing on a soapbox and, and making people feel weird for coming to see the Acacia strain. And we just happened to be on the bill, you know, that just, that just wasn't us as a band. I think that's part of what I think probably drew a lot of people to you guys was the fact that, you know, like you said, from an outsider, if you don't really know what's going on, you can't tell that it's, you know, 
faith-based music. You know, you, it's not... Um, and I don't mean this in a negative way. It's not forced upon the listener, if that makes sense. Sure. No, yeah. And that, that was that was definitely on purpose, for sure. Now, there was another couple of years after Lost Boys, and then you did the self-titled album. And yeah. self-titled came out, and then anyone listening that knows the history of the band it's you guys just go you disappear like it just feels like you guys went away um out of nowhere what was going on at this period was was the album what you wanted was it another you know troubled time or was it just okay maybe we need to step away for a bit reevaluate everything and come back with fresh heads so when lost boys came out and we met with solid state here i'll just i'll just go back farther when we got approached by solid state to begin with for unbreakable there's a man named chad johnson who had discovered every big band that's been through solid state and tooth and nail he was the guy like under oath like all, all the old bands norma Jean. he was there he was the one that discovered them he was at like the front of the heavy movement the christian movement he came out personally him and um the old singer of haste today uh Jane, oh. what's his name? Uh, I remember. Anyway, yeah, he was on the. I just completely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I completely blanked. Anyway, they came out to see us and to negotiate and all that, and we were like, "This is crazy." You know, I know who you are. I know the band you've signed, and he was so excited. And it was him. It was all him that was like getting us to solid state. And we signed, and we jumped on board, and he helped orchestrate the release and Unbreakable coming out and all of that. And then Chad Johnson had a personal like thing where he was like, I'm moving myself from the music world. I'm stepping down from solid state. I'm leaving. Um, I'm quitting my job and moving to Tennessee. And I feel like God's telling me to do that. And we were like, that's awesome, man. And then we were like, well, what are we, what's going to happen with us? You know, and we already felt like we were like, kind of like the redheaded stepchild at solid state because of, like you said before, like we looked, different we acted different we sounded different uh we went in there with unbreakable and had all these plans and they kind of like told us to tone everything down not musically but just art direction and all of that um so he left and we kind of got handed over to someone that when we were in town he would take us out to dinner with the company card because chad was busy or something and it was a friend of ours there that ultimately was just like worked in the office he didn't have bands he wasn't an a r representative but because we had that relationship with him, they thought that it might be a good idea because we didn't really have a relationship with any of the other artist relations. Um, and ultimately, it just pushed us further away from the label and further away from us getting what we wanted and needed as a band. And it was always our guy would have to go ask somebody else and it would take so much time. And it was always the runaround. Um, and that on top of everything else happening with the band at that time when Lost Boys came out, like, we had all these ideas and plans and all this stuff we were going to do with marketing and it just fell flat with lost boy mm. or lost boys. And, um, it's lost boy. I keep, <laughs> I always I get those saying, yes, all these yeah. years later. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just, I'm obsessed with that movie. So like, it's, that's why I even named it. That. But anyway, um, yeah. So it just fell flat. Lost boy came out and it was just like nothing we wanted the label completely backed away from like marketing and all this other stuff we had planned and it wasn't pushed like it was supposed to be. 
And we were promised all these overseas things and all this other stuff. And it just didn't really happen like we wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, and after the release and everything, we came to them. We were like, what is going on? Like, we feel like we're not even part of your label. You guys don't talk to it. All this stuff. Our manager is getting like no replies from you guys. And we had this, like, we sat down, we flew out. Or actually, no, the owner of the label, Brandon Ebel, owner of Solid State Tooth and Nail, flew out to Austin during South by Southwest. And we had this dinner meeting with him and we told him all this. And he was like, oh my gosh, like, I didn't even realize like this was happening. I'm so sorry. Like, this next record's going to be insane. Like, so we, we got really excited about uh, our self titled record. And we felt like when we wrote it, we're like, this is the proper. Like, we want this to be the real follow-up to Unbreakable. We want this to be heavy metalcore, sing-along. Like, and we wrote it with that all of that in mind. And there's all these throwbacks to Unbreakable because of that. Like, On Wings Integrity Part 2, there's another song that has, like, an old song from Unbreakable on the song. Mm-hmm. You know, like, there was all this stuff, like, lyrically, where they all tied together. And we just wanted prop honestly it was just like it was the the sequel to unbreakable and that's what we wanted because like i said before that was our biggest you know that was what took us to where we were at kind of thing um and this all that same stuff happened we got promised all of these different things and all these marketing plans and these tours and all this stuff and all this like radio play and magazine interviews and they were just like it was just like holy crap this is it we're gonna like this record's gonna make us break you know like we're gonna be huge we're gonna you know, make all this, you know, it's going to support us and make us allow us to make money and support ourselves, you know, because we have been struggling. Um, and ultimately that record released and it honestly, it kind of flopped like everything that we had all this time and energy and sweat and tears and all this promises that were made. Like it just didn't pan out at all. Like we were, it was supposed to. And that was our final record on Solid State. We had a when we first signed with them for Unbreakable, we had a three record contract. Um, so that was it. And so we toured a little bit on that record. The next year, we fired everyone that worked for us, and we just stepped away. Wow. And we we're like, we need to completely reevaluate this band and decide if it's even worth writing more for. Um, and ultimately, it was just that on top of us touring relentlessly for, I don't know, eight or nine years and us needing a break from it and us needing a break for our families and our friends and just life in general. Oh, so, so that's got to be hard. That's got to be hard yeah. to decide. I mean, that, that's your baby. The band is your baby. And you're having to go, yeah, exactly. enough's enough. <laughs> I've got to step away. Um, did you at the time think, when we step away, that's going to be it. Um, no, I mean, there was one conversation, there was one time that I remember, and I don't remember what brought me or what brought on this phone call or what, but Robert, Robert, the guitarist that's been in the band for a long time. He, he wasn't a, an original member, but we brought him in right before Unbreakable came out and, that's who you've seen all the pictures nowadays. It's me and Robert. Like, that's, it's our band. <clears throat> I was on the phone with him out in the middle of a parking lot at this mall. And I remember, like, basically borderline crying, like, talking to him about, like, the band. And, like, I'm like, is this it? You know, is this, are we done? Kind of thing. And he was like, he's like, I don't, 
ever want to be a band that like breaks up and has a final tour and he's like let's just do our own thing and if music comes and then it comes and we can release it as this or something else like it, it doesn't have to end you know we don't have to like hang it up and do a final tour like all these other bands are doing so that was kind of what we did we just kind of stepped away from it we it was unfortunate how we handled it we should have like released a statement or something like that um but we kind of just yeah we stepped away we didn't say we were going on a hiatus or or even wanted to call it that we weren't breaking up or anything like that but it was just we needed some time away from it um and yeah that's what happened yeah and i think i don't think there's anything wrong with doing that because obviously it was just like hey we're taking a break and if you say hiatus or if you say we're ending it you kind of then put a label on it and Mm -hmm. you guys avoided that but one thing during that time, you know, because it was about five years before the next album, um, was it refreshing to be able to, you know, people that don't understand being in a band is not only money, but it's time and it puts a lot of stress on, stress on family, relationships, um, your faith, everything. Was it a good opportunity to repair things and go back into the band with a new eye on let's focus on what we know will work and what's important to focus on. Um, it was a little bit of all of that and other stuff. Like, I I don't know if you've talked to any of other guys and bands, but like when you identify your entire life with something that you've created, um, and that's all, you know, like I, I had like one job at like a game stop or something before the band or during the beginning of the band. Um, it's like, I don't know. You don't know how to function and be normal anymore. Like all of your friendships that you had before aren't the same anymore because everyone else pursued college and has a full-time job and kids and a house. They can't be up until 4 a.m. hanging out hmm. every day. You know, like it's just in this, I don't know. It, I was definitely like, I definitely got really depressed and it was really hard to kind of adapt to a normal life. Like, and trying to figure out a job and all of that kind of stuff and where I was going to live and all of that. Um, but ultimately, yeah, I got all that figured out and I, I definitely felt like I was at a, in a better place to approach like making new music or whatever. And I was in Alabama and Robert was still in California. Um, and I'm just going to segue into this next kind of timeline, but, uh, we were just kind of doing our own thing. We got approached by, um, by someone we hadn't talked to in a long time. And that was Carl from who was previously in charge of ferret records. Um, he was in charge of good fight. E one mm. now and, or good fight, not E one. Um, and he hit us up and he was like, are you guys, what's the deal? Are you guys going to make music again? Like, are you guys ever going to come out with something? Like what's the plan? And that kind of got us really excited again, because that was out of the complete like thin air. Like we weren't trying, we weren't talking to anybody at all. And then this like guy that we had talked to in the past that we were really excited about working with, but ultimately didn't. Um, we were like, "Holy crap! This could be it. This could be like what we needed. You know, this could be the the thing um, to kind of really do what we've been trying to do the past two records." And yeah, so we signed with Good Fight E One. Yeah, and then you released Vicious World, and feels like that album just sparked 
all this excitement and interest again. Um, it almost feels like the time away was just what the doctor ordered um, because I had friends that were into Unbreakable and Lost Boy and then suddenly they're going, oh, have you heard that my children, my bride are coming back? You know, have you heard the album? Um, did it spark a lot of interest for you guys? Because anyone also that's listening might know you've recently done a 10-year Unbreakable tour. Um, so obviously there is interest, but was the album the catalyst for this new interest in the band? Um, so on that time off that we took and, and finding ourselves again and repairing our relationships and being with our family, like we were slowly trying to write and stuff and our label, the label was like, okay, it's been a year. What do you guys have? You know? We are like, oh, we have a few demos and stuff like that. And they're like, well, you, do you guys want to write with someone else? Or like, do you guys want, we don't want someone to write your music for you, but do you guys need help in that way? And we were like, well, that might help us. You know, we might find, like, you know, like get in a groove and like really start cranking something new that we haven't really done yet before. So we worked with Travis Richter. Um, and he helped us a lot, helped us write. And we were going to write with Matt Good. Uh, but that didn't really pan out. Um, but ultimately, we were taking longer than we needed to, and the label was really, really getting upset about it. Um, and then they kind of forced us to go into the studio and finish it, uh, just or there was going to be actions taking place kind of thing. Oh. So, yeah, we jumped in the studio, uh, we recorded most of it actually in Robert's apartment in, in LA. Uh, like I did all my vocals in a closet wow. in LA to be, uh, but yeah, we were trying all these new weird, different things and, uh, really experimenting and creating these atmospheric, like movie soundtrack sounds and stuff. And we, we wanted to do that. We wanted, like when we were writing this record, vicious world, we were like, sending back like we finally got to stand back and just be normal and listen to music around us and hear the other bands that we've been touring with for all these years and we really felt like metalcore and heavy music as a whole just like it got so comfortable in itself and like these bands were putting out the same records over and over again and a lot of the time it was because they were like us they were forced to put out a record or forced to get in the studio label saying it's been a year start writing again you know like because the way that that's the way it is these days with technology and with social media and with people being younger, getting into the music. Like they hear something on SoundCloud and they they listen to it for a week and then something else comes out. Like they need, 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 you know? And it's not like it was back in the day where you can put out a record and tour on it for two years. Now bands are putting out two songs at a time mm -hmm. and then hoping it pushes them to the next song kind of thing. Um, so we really wanted to like write something and write a record that we hadn't heard before and be not be afraid to experiment and be and put out a song that's electronic with me laughing and talking like Marilyn Nancy. You know, like we we wanted to just do whatever we felt like doing. And I guess because of we were on that new label, we had the ability to do that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of what we plan and what we do with Vicious World. And. We got it done, and we were really excited about it. And then the label was like, "Okay, we're gonna sit on this for a year." Uh, whoa! Oh. <laughs> oh, 
Yeah, and I don't right. know if that was just like them doing that because they could, or if it was like to get back at us, or we had all this momentum going, and we were talking online, and we were active on all our accounts again, and they're like, oh yeah, we'll put out one song, but we're going to wait like four or five months. You know, it was just like, it was hard to have all that. And then, so we waited, and we waited, and we waited, and then we finally got to release it. Um, and yeah, it kind of, I'll be completely transparent, like kind of the same thing that happened with our self-titled and Lost Boy, that kind of same thing happened because of the bad taste we had given them, like with taking longer than we should have on writing. Um, but it was just, it was all these different, it was like the perfect storm, I guess. Like we, we needed time away. They were trying to get us to not do that. I was in Alabama. Robert was in LA. I had to fly out to do demos. Like there's just all this different things, you know? Um, that contributed to that and yeah but we still ultimately we got it out we got new music out and we we were really proud of it like i i still listen to that record a lot um we haven't properly got to tour on it as much as we want to um but yeah we yeah this whole last 2018 was really busy for us and it was the first time in years that it's been that way oh obviously you know in 2019 after having a busy year with shows but after all of this just horrible stuff that's been going on with labels i mean where are you where are you with you know making music or focusing with the band because to keep going and keep persisting dude that that is commendable because a lot of other people with these amount of label headaches and issues going on would have already packed up and gone. Yeah, that's me. Yeah, that's done. So where are you like, and where's the band in 2019 now? Um, well, like we haven't, we're not breaking up or anything. Um, I think Robert and I are both kind of in the mindset that we want to create music and we want to be ourselves, but with how vicious world came out and people perceived it, like, I don't know if the direction that we want to go is okay with like with the title MC and be over it. We don't know if it would be worth maybe starting something different mm. or something new just to get some certain like musical stuff off of our chest mm -hmm. for lack of a better term. Like there's stuff that we have, like some stuff we have written and stuff, stuff that we've been, you know, sitting on that we don't know if it would actually work as MC and B. So we're trying to figure all that out now. Um, I want to put out music, but I don't think we're going to do like we have been. Like I think we're kind of gonna like do what a lot of other artists, whether they're rap or whatever, are doing, and like release like one or two songs mm -hmm. and let that do its own thing, and then maybe another two, and then come out the another record at another time or whatever. Like we're kind of in the position now. We we are done. We fulfilled our contract with them. So are free agents. But uh but yeah, after a year like two thousand eighteen, like we're we feel good about the band. We want to write, we want to we don't want to hang it up yet. Hmm. Um but we're just in a position to where we kinda can do whatever. So we're just kinda hanging out, <laughs> doing our doing our thing. Are you gonna keep it independent? I mean no one would blame you. At, after at the all time, that. yeah, that's that's definitely what we feel like doing. We don't wanna deal with anything else right now. But I mean yeah. Now you you mentioned 2018, and I also mentioned it because I, I really want to ask because it looked exciting. And for anyone in Australia or 
Europe would have been very jealous of it. The Unbreakable Celebration Tour, a lot of shows went on and it looked like it was going really well. I mean, how was it all? Were people just absolutely frothing at the bits that they were getting this Unbreakable set? Um, There was definitely some hit or miss dates. Like, and ultimately, I mean, we can place blame on whoever we want, but I mean, I we we ended up having to fire some other people. I'll just say that um, it was booked, and the bands on it. Like, I loved all those bands. Like, if any of these, if any of you guys hear this, and don't think I hate you guys at all, I, I loved every single one of you guys. But like, the the tour wasn't booked around Unbreakable. The well, tour was booked by putting on our our booking agent at the time stuffing his bands on there trying to make more money and and stuff like that and we fought and fought and fought to try to get different artists on there to to make it like a, a straight up 2008 like this is metalcore it's a celebration of what metalcore is today and like was you know and we ended up having like kind of like scene metal singy bands on our tour and none of we had earth groans they were really heavy and cool but they were like kind of the only heavy band um and yeah it, it just wasn't the tour that we thought it was going to be yeah. um and i think that kind of affected people coming out because they didn't know any of these bands or care about a lot of them they just wanted to hear unbreakable but there was still a high ticket price you know um and then we had all these new fans that were coming off the warp tour train too uh, yeah. so it was kind of like a mixed bag and, and then the routing that we had we were playing they didn't even our agent didn't even book a show in alabama or, or tennessee like the the states solely our home state are the states responsible for our career you know like it's just stuff like that that we were just like this is absolutely ridiculous and we had to fire our agent book our own shows in, in alabama and we had to cancel a show in new mexico because of it and feel bad about that but we had to get an alabama show in there we had to play unbreakable in front of you know those old fans and that was obvious that was by far the most insane show of the tour than when we booked on our own uh and yeah i mean it was it was incredible being able to play that record every night like whether it was i don't know 30 or 40 people or 300 you know but it was definitely surreal it felt like I don't know if it, it, it felt like I could just hang it up after that because it's like we it's like came full circle. We got to perform like the record that kind of took made us something and perform it from every song for people over the years. Like even our original drummer, that guy that wrote it, like he came out and stuff and being able to perform it for him. It just it was definitely special. And like my family came out to the last two shows in, in Alabama and in Tennessee. Um, so, yeah, it was definitely uh there's people that came out that said, I've been listening to you since your first ever release. And this is like a dream come true. You know, there was those people and then there were kids that were just like, Oh, you guys, I saw there was a show in town. You know, this is cool. You guys, your music's cool. And they're just like, thanks. Like the, we don't sound like this anymore, but I'm glad you'd like listen to a 45 minute thrashy metal set with us. Um, <laughs> sounds, uh, but yeah, sounds, we, uh, all I gotta say is I hope that, Whatever you guys do this year, whether it's under the MCMB banner or whatever, I hope you guys start having your own control and your own, you know, direct uh, direction that you want to take because it, it, it just sounds like people aren't having the best interests for the band all the time. Um, 
Yeah. And that's got to be, I mean, that's got to be doing you. I have to agree like that. That's what, I mean, behind the scenes of of music and, and the scene and everything else, if you don't have an entire team that wants to be in, you know, with you and make sure you're successful and fight for you, it is cutthroat. Mm. I'm just going to say that Mm. like behind the scenes, like management labels, booking agents, publicists, artists, like all of, they all want to cut, like they all want a piece and they are only doing, you know, and pushing you and and presenting you to stuff for their own selfish needs. They want a paycheck, you know, and like finding real people that want you to succeed on a friend level Mm. and on a family level, like is next to none these days. Like all those band, all the bands that are still around, like that you listen to and, and metal or metalcore or hardcore, all those bands that have lasted throughout the years, it's because they have a foundation to stand on. That's, that's with them, no matter what the release sounds like, you know, and all these other bands that have gone away, it's because they didn't have that perfect team or that those people that really, you know, inspired them to continue on. And, um, yeah, we're still looking for for ultimately for that for that group of people and stuff. But like I said, we're not we're not going anywhere yet. Oh, good. Um, I still have some stuff, some fight in me. So it just oh, it's just yeah, like you said, it it's. I think nowadays also it's very, very different landscape. Um, oh, one hundred percent. And how does it feel? You know, as someone that's been around in the industry for as long as you have, where do you see? the record industry now compared to when it was do you think we're in a good place or do you think we're struggling or are we trying to find out what it's going to be i don't know i think there's i think something has to change and something has to happen because right now i mean nothing wrong with the genre but rap and soundcloud and those kind of artists are are the mainstream they're taking over you know they're not taking over there but that's what people want to hear and how they want to feel and all of that and um for metal and metalcore i think everyone needs to just kind of take a step back and slow down because people aren't going out to shows anymore people Mm -hmm. aren't going and buying music anymore i mean we were on the final warp tour the final cross country warp tour you know and and they the reason they stopped it is because of those exact things people aren't going to shows and they aren't caring they don't want to see they don't care to see bands live when they can watch them on youtube or or listen on soundcloud they'd rather do their own thing or they'd rather save up and go to a three-day show with 500 bands you know like i think that the industry just got flooded and people have too much to listen to and have too much to decide on and everyone's just trying to make money any way they can now and i think it needs to kind of fail so we can everyone can step back and like redo it i don't know yeah i think uh, there's gonna be go ahead yeah well i also i 100 percent agree i also think part of the problem nowadays which i don't think we had when people like ourselves were growing up is now because there's so much music and so much accessible music online i think attention spans have gone i think nobody really wants to tap into a whole album or they don't want to go to a live show because why would I go to a live show when I can go on YouTube and watch someone film it from the back? Um, yeah. I think I think nobody really cares for the quality of music anymore. Um, right. Um, and everybody, I mean, we, we heard it so much on that tour. It's like everybody grew up listening to all this music and 
they have such deep connections and memories to listening to them. And everybody, like myself included, I mean, you, I listen to the same 10 records over and over again for the past 20 years. You know, it's just like, that's the state we're in. And I think like, I don't know, either consumers and listeners and fans have to change their mindset and really, you know, support and accept how artists evolve and change or they can just sit on their couches and listen Mm. to the old records over and over again. I don't know. I think it's like a a big shift needs to happen. And well, not only country and society and caring, I mean, all the other stuff going on. I mean, the music industry is trivial compared to the, you know, everything else going on in the world right now. But, um, I don't know. I I feel like it's kind of, it already has kind of hit a low and I think there is going to be like a resurgence of almost like a movement of, of music meaning more and it's what people are writing about meaning more and people getting behind it. I think, I think there's definitely like room for like a revolution to happen and hopefully we're part of it. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Um, now (laughs) the last question I've got before we wrap things up is something I love about you that some people may know, may not know straight edge. Um, Mm -hmm. love it. Um, mad respect, much love for that. Um, when did you start? Why did you start? Um, I guess I started claiming it, like the title when I was around like 15 or so, mm-hmm. 14 or 15. Um, I had heard about it and learned because of like the music and like bands and stuff like that. And um, I had grown up, like, like I've mentioned before in this interview, like in a Christian household. So they were kind of strict with stuff, but I mean, in the South, like that's all people do is like drugs and alcohol. Like you get bored, you you go party and hang out and drink. But ultimately I was never interested in any of that. I I spent time with friends and we did other stuff. I I never, I was never influenced that way really. And I I was fortunate. And the friends I had that did, that were doing all that stuff, they knew that about me and they never really asked me to do that kind of thing. And uh, when I was like, I think when I was like 12, 13, my best friend at the time was like down, he lived like a few houses down from me. We did everything together, wrote music together, all kinds of stuff. Um, he had taken a bunch of drugs and like was like at, super late one night. I saw ambulances and paramedics at his house. Um, and I was like, I knew the kind of stuff he was into, but I didn't know. Like I was just freaked out. I didn't know what happened. I didn't know if he had killed himself or, or what or overdose or whatever. Um, and ultimately he had to be taken to the hospital and I was stomach pumped and he was in there for a few days and he lived and all that stuff. But like, that scared me. And I was just like, I don't, I don't want to put people through that or I don't want to, I don't want people to feel that way about me to know, like for my own selfish, you know, once mm. for to feel a certain way. So that, and I don't know, past stuff with my, my family and the, the history behind a lot of, um, addiction in my family, it just, I felt aligning myself with a title like that and uh, a family and a belief system that way um, would kind of help me stay true to it. And yeah, here I am at 32, still still going strong. Love it. So Absolutely yep. love it. Um, I've only been, I mean, I've had a checkered pass, but um, I'm now, what, going into two years. So f- for me, when, awesome. when I speak to someone that, has been doing it and stands firm by it. So much love for it. Um, now, we are almost done. We've got the part of the chat that um, 
apparently is the most popular, I've been told, which I find weird because we, I chat to different artists every week, but everyone loves this segment, which is called Pick Your Poison. Now, okay. what I do is I give you two options, and you have to pick the one that you stay with for the rest of your life. Okay. Okay. Now, some are easy, some are hard. And All right. you are allowed to explain your decision because some people get worried that that decision people might go, oh, why did you pick, you know? Sure. So the first okay. one is, would you rather a pizza or a burger? Pizza. Oh, that was easy. Um, I don't eat, I don't eat, um, I guess the only thing left that I eat meat-wise is chicken. Mm-hmm. So I, I haven't eaten any red meat in like, I don't know, 10 or 11 years now, wow. so... That's a simple. But if one. it was like a veggie burger, I don't know. That'd be that'd be a different. Thing. <laughs> uh, would you prefer Chinese takeaway or Indian takeaway? Uh, Chinese. Okay. Do you prefer cooking at home or dining out? Dining out for sure. Okay. What about going to the cinema or sitting on the couch? Cinema. Okay. Do you prefer the beach or the snow? Hmm. Uh, I have to say snow because I've I've been in California now like almost two years, not quite two years yet, and it's it's born this new hatred for the sun. And <laughs> I there's no clouds, there's no rain. Like luck, I'm, I say that, but it, it did rain yesterday a little bit. But um, being from the southeast in Alabama in the United States, like all four seasons, like snow, rain. You know, sunshine, it's hot, but I mean, the fall and the spring are so nice. And it's just like, I miss that a lot. But, uh, so I'm going to have to say snow for sure. Okay. Skateboarding or rollerblading? Oh, skateboarding all day. I, I grew up skateboarding. I, I still love it. Um, I don't do it as much as I used to, but because I'm lazy, but <laughs> <laughs> definitely skateboarding. Okay. Never rollerblading. Cat or dog? Dog. Yes. 100%. Yes. I hate, I hate cats. I don't know what it is about them, but they are just not the pet for me. So uh, I'm 100% dog. Thank you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, PS4 or Xbox? Xbox. Oh. 100%. Again, I, I've been on that console since it came out. I have a PlayStation um, for some some game title. I'm a big gamer. I don't know if, if some people knew that or not. Like, I'm. I'm playing right now, actually, behind me. That's a, that's what I said I needed 15 minutes because I was in the middle of something. Um, but, yeah, like, aside from music, like, gaming is a huge uh, outlet for me, and it's something I do with a lot of friends that I've met over the years. Um, so, yeah, but if it's Xbox or PlayStation, it's Xbox for sure. Okay, well, so that leads me to one off the top of my head. Battlefield or Call of Duty? Uh, Call of Duty, probably. I don't play either of those games anymore, to be honest. But over the years, like the Call of Duty games were definitely something I put a lot of time into. What are you currently playing? Like, what's your game of choice at the moment? Um, Destiny. Oh, okay, nice. Yeah, yeah. Good game. Since since the Halo days and Bungie like creating that whole thing, and then them stepping away and working on this game, um, I've been I followed it for years before it was even released, and I've I've been playing every second i can since the beta came out on destiny one so nice okay so batman or superman um batman okay wolverine or deadpool wolverine okay um 
Bond or Jason Bourne? Uh, I probably have to go with Bourne, just Ooh. because he's like he's more cutthroat and he's not about the flashy cars and the girls. It's just more like taking people out for getting the job for being down. bad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Rambo or Rocky? Uh, hmm, that's a good one. Um, probably Rocky just because of, of the ending and how it's a good feel good story. Like Rambo, that dude's still old and pissed off and still like killing people. So yeah, apparently he's coming back for a fifth time now. Still pissed. Yeah. Off. Now with a horse. Yep. Apparently I don't, don't know how that works, but yeah. Um, Terminator or Predator? Um, probably Predator. Okay. Star Wars or Star Trek? Wars. Okay. MacGyver or Walker, Texas Ranger? Um, That's a really left field one, that one. Yeah, that is. Um, I'll probably, I never really watched MacGyver back in the day. I'll have to go with Walker, Texas Ranger just because that was on the TV. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I've ever actively decided to watch Walker, Texas Ranger. You couldn't get away from it for a while there. Yeah, you couldn't get away from it. Um, South Park or Simpsons? Simpsons. Okay. Now, a couple of music ones. Metallica or Megadeth? Hmm. I'd probably have to go with Metallica. Just because of... Yeah. I don't know. There's two. That, that's a whole other interview. Just for the sake of it being a short answer, Metallica. Okay. Um, Black Sabbath or Van Halen? Um, I have to do Black Sabbath just because of the darker. Um, corn or Limp Biscuit? Corn. Okay. I listen to both so much growing up, but as far as like what I still actively like listen to on the regular is definitely corn. Now, last music one. Would you rather go Kill Switch or Slipknot? Slipknot, one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a big Slipknot fan. So now, the last three. Uh, would you rather go to a show and be in the mosh pit or up the back where you can get the whole show? Um, I think that ultimately depends on the band. I don't know the last time I was in a mosh pit. Um, but I know there are a few bands that I would probably want to be in a mosh pit for, but I guess nowadays it's definitely sitting in the back and just like tickets are so expensive for the music. The last couple shows that I've been to, it's just like, you want to take it all in. Yeah. Well, I'm in mosh pit retirement. I have been for a while. I don't think I'll come out for a bit. Um, all right. Second last one. Would you rather tour or record? Hmm. That's that's really difficult because they both are so like special. Like being able to create something and like from scratch and like see the long process of it getting tuned and refined and rewritten and ultimately released for other people. Like like Vicious World, like it finally being released and people that have been waiting for five years to hear music from us, you know, um, is amazing. Like that that feeling is unbelievable. But then again, on the other side, like performing like unbreakable live and seeing that like change and like that be there for people that have wanted it for so long is incredible too. So I, I have to go with live just only because of the whole unbreakable thing. Okay. That's the, you know, I have to go with live because just a side story. Like there, there were a few songs on unbreakable that we had never played live that had literally never been performed 
Wow. Other than in the studio being created there. Um, and a couple of those songs meant there's a few close friends of mine that, that those song like one song in particular changes their life. And like, they have like lyrics tattooed on them and being able to play that for them live after all these years and like how much that song means to them. It just, yeah, I'll never forget that. That's a great so. answer. Um, last one, CD, vinyl or streaming. Hmm. I don't know. I, I think streaming is okay. I'm not, I'm not one of those people that are, Oh, you gotta have real music. I think it, with technology and how it is today, like being able to, I pay for Apple music and be able to click on a song and hear it whenever I want is, is the way of the future. And ultimately the best, the bands don't see as much money from it, but I mean, you just gotta, whatever <laughs> it's, it, it is what it is. Like, I mean, it's the way forward. Like you said, you can get all the music straight away um, at your fingertips. Um, you don't have to worry about constantly loading in a new CD um yeah or i think ultimately that is part of the downfall of Mm. like the music as a whole and like you know like the entertainment industry because there's not that excitement of waiting for standing in line and waiting for a new record to come out and then that first like unwrapping it putting a sticker up on your car like on the dashboard that little sticker that was on the top of the cd and Mm -hmm. popping it in and cranking your record like your cd player to as high as it would go in the mall parking lot like so many times I, that exact thing happened with me and riding around with your friends and listening to music and or just staying up all night listening to a song on your CD player. Like, I think that's why all these like all, all of us have so many connections to records that came out in like the early 2000s and like, you know, 2008 or 2009, you know, because sure, we were growing up, but it was just so different, like, you know, buying music and listening to music and then bands didn't tour like they did like maybe toured once or twice a year and you were lucky if it could be if it came near you you know bands that all of a sudden were able to tour 300 days a year oversaturated the markets and it's like oh, I, don't, I don't need to go see them this time i saw them two months ago you know yeah it so, was uh, yeah i still remember and i still do it pre-ordering you know it used to be part of the excitement that okay i gotta wait mm-hmm. for that to come in the mail People nowadays, when they hear that I pre-order, they go, why do you bother? You can get it online the day it comes out. I know, but, you know, I still yeah. I still like having... Even though I, I'm into streaming and downloading, I still also am one of those persons that likes the um, a copy as well. Sure. Um, no, I, I'm like that too on certain releases. I definitely like... I like to have a physical copy just, mm. just to have it, you know. Um, Matthew, that was a great chat, man. I really really appreciated it dude um yeah you know thank you for taking time out thank you for putting aside some time for me um thank you thank you for being just open honest um transparent and just a nice a dude awesome all right man thank you so much
So that was my chat with Matthew of My Children, My Bride. You also heard there at the end their song Headshot, which is from their debut major label release, which is called Unbreakable. So any of those albums that we did talk about in that chat or that album Unbreakable, you can, of course, find online and possibly in your local record store. Make sure you get out. Make sure you delve in. Make sure you discover some really good metal core, some really good metal jams. So thank you, Matthew. I've got to say again for coming on the show. Meant a lot. Really great chat. Much love, much respect, much appreciated, dude. Thank you again. So that's it for the Mosh Zone episode 51. Done, dusted, all wrapped up in the fucking can, locked away for this week. Guys, if you're a first-time listener, thank you for tuning in. I hope you come back over future weeks on future episodes. If you're a regular listener, thank you as always for tuning in and hope you come back in future weeks. This time of the show is when I remind you that we need your help to get out to more listeners. So if you've got a few moments this week and you enjoyed this episode, share it on your social medias. Also, tell everyone you know about the Mosh Zone. Help us out. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. Also, at this time of the show, I need to remind you that if you want to find Mosh News and Mosh Reviews, we have it all on our website and social medias. Our website is www.themoshzone.com. Our social medias are all at The Mosh Zone, and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also, don't forget, you can also get in touch through our email address, which is themoshzone at gmail.com. Get in touch, guys. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. There's not much else to talk about. That is all of my rambling done. Thank you for tuning in. Have a great week. Stay safe. Open the pitch.